0: Part one was an absolute blinder. Just wait till you hear part two. Here it is.
1: There's that great movie on Netflix, have you seen it, it called, oh, called The Hyatt Gun, yeah. which is a great movie about... Yes, meters. yeah, yeah. It's got uh, Daryl Jones on it, the bass player from The Stones. Yeah, and
2: there's a drummer on... um uh oh, it? It's Liberty DeVito.
1: Aye. Uh, and uh, yeah, from and uh, Phil X as well, yeah. who's the fucking monster guitarist who did the Bon Jovi stuff and stuff. And, that, and, they, and obviously one of the things they talk about in that thing is like, when you're riding high, it's fucking great, but if, if Madonna doesn't call you again next year...
2: Yeah. And I think the other thing that goes hand-in-hand hand with that is... Which is the point... This is the point I was going to try and get to. When you do a job like that, then the phone stops ringing. You would think the phone would... Because you're busy, yeah. Well, you would think the phone would ring more. Mm-hmm. You would think it'd be like, all right, okay, Like, oh, we'll have to get him. Mm-hmm. He's obviously doing well with that. But it's actually... Contrary to what you think, people. And I've spoken to a lot of people subsequently after this that um, people actually think, "Oh no, like I couldn't afford him now, or like, oh, you really? oh, yeah, he's like he's probably just way too, way oh, too busy." Yeah, I that. So it actually becomes kind of productive, mm-hmm. um, and it took me a while to work that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first year after the first tour, that was a bit of a struggle because I had bought a house and I had gone a little bit sort of crazy, um, and then you are like, "Oh, how am I going to pay for all this?" Right. Because um, you didn't think ahead to divide your yearly income into two years. Yeah. So um, there was a period where that was a little bit of a struggle, but then obviously the next tour comes around and you get back on the you know back on the wagon again. Um, so yeah, it, it did work out in the end. Um, but I had to find other things in the interim. Yeah. Um, and then I found myself obviously living in Los Angeles. Um, so then that was like find, you know learning a new town mm-hmm. and finding out who's doing what and.
1: And did uh, you get
2: session work in, in between um yeah m- mysteriously it came by <laughs> came by um i saw that an advert for um they needed a,
1: somebody who could whistle <laughs> Right. okay <laughs> You're good whistling. Uh, I I I can
2: play whistle um so i yeah i went along for this thing and um it was for a company called machine head who uh, i subsequently ended up working for
1: right
2: so it all turned out quite well in the end. I ended up in the studio just doing this commercial where they wanted somebody who could whistle quite strongly. So I pulled that off and then the producer um, said, oh, do you, you know, we got chatting and whatever. And I'd said, oh, I played keyboards and things. And um, she was like, oh, can you play the piano? I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I do. <laughs> and she went, oh, I've got another commercial. Would you play the piano on it for us now? I was like, yeah, of course. So I went next door and nailed that. And then we ended up chatting a bit more and they kind of offered me a job. Oh, As a in-house composer there. That's, well, that's so it. yeah, I was there
1: for, for quite a while. So composing music for like film, television, oh, wow, really? um, commercials. Anything we would have seen.
2: Um a couple of movies. I did Justin Timberlake's first movie. Um did... what, was that? what was that again? Oh uh, crazy. He did not was it Alpha Dog. It was Alpha Dog. Alpha, Dog? Was Alpha, Dog? Alpha, Alpha Dog. Dog's amazing. I can't remember the title off the top of my head. Um but I worked alongside um the guy who owns Machine Head uh, uh, co owns uh, Stephen Dewey. And Stephen's famous for, well, not only being the keyboard player with Thompson Twins, not really, um, but he, uh, amongst other things, but he also, I would say, invented sound design. Right. Yeah, when certainly the term There was a movie called Jacob's Ladder um, oh, a few years back. Yeah. 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 Which had um, really not music in it, it just had. Like synthetic sort of sounds oh, right. skates and uh-huh. sort of feelings um and stephen did that anyhow he subsequently set up machine head which i then went to work with stephen which was incredible because i learned so much from him yeah. um and we did a, a few commercials i did the nike one uh, yeah. which i just found out last week actually that um, it's on permanent display in the moma uh, museum in wow. new york it's an actual exhibition now. Do you
1: get any, do you get any for
2: that? No, any
1: payment, <laughs> it's so just a, a Was that like a one take? you got a fee well, for the time?
2: Yeah, we got a clear award for it, um, which is the sort what of it? like uh, the equivalent of a granny for commercials. Wow. wow. Um, it was a baseball commercial where each shot um, was timed to the rhythm of take me out to the ballpark. Oh, so yeah, it was yeah. just like people hitting baseballs yeah. and making moves or slamming gates, or anything to do with baseball, mm-hmm. but the cuts were all dink, Ding, 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 oh, ding, great, ding. Cool. So we spent days sampling Not baseball bats, yeah. um, and then I, well, Stephen and I spent hours tuning them all, really, till we had the right notes, so that you could go through and play the song with all That's these amazing. sounds. And look
1: that that sounds
2: great. Yeah, it's really cool. But apparently, in the moment um, museum, um, it's under um, a they um, called uh, sound design. so yeah. it's the definition of sound design. Oh really? That's
1: crazy.
2: Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So get
1: so. yeah, back. So how did the Madonna thing end there?
2: Um We'd been off for about a year, done some promo things, some one's and sorts, and the music was moving into it was the MDMA period, right. so it got a lot more. I think it was like Nicki Minaj and stuff was coming out at that yeah. point. So it got a lot more like hip-hop based, right, or my urban. Right. And so I wouldn't say that I, I wasn't enjoying it, but like it just didn't sort of float my boat as much. Right. Um and at the in, in the interim, um Stuart was working with um Seal. Mm-hmm. Um, Perfect
1: segue, by the
2: way, because that's what we're going to go on to next. Story. Yeah, Seal, uh, Stuart was working with Seal and he just finished producing a, an album with him which was very heavy electronic.
1: Right.
2: Um, and Seal wanted to go on tour and tour this record. So basically Stuart went, well, I know Marcus from Madonna's band and Sid, the drummer, um, are looking to do something slightly different because Sid felt the same as me. Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, I'm not really sure about this. Mm-hmm. Um... So we basically took the call and I remember Sid and I both met up and we drove up to Seal's house. He was like, come up for a chat. So we went up to the house.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, he was great. Um, really welcoming. And I remember being in, in the studio and he was like, there's something wrong with my speakers. So his speakers were out of phase. Oh, so okay. I remember I fixed his speakers. <laughs> um, and then we chatted about snowboarding for about two hours. right? Um, and then... He went, right, Okay, look, uh, I've got a studio booked on Tuesday um, or Monday or whatever. Just head down and, you know, meet the techs and stuff and um, let's get started. So Sid and I went down and there was one other guy there, Mark Summerlin, who was a guitarist. And he was also working some keyboards and a bit of playback because Seal had been doing some solo gigs, (laughs) literally like, you know, with just a guy with a playback and a guitar. Um, So he didn't have a band. So the idea was that I was going to do all the keys, Sid was going to take drums, and then Mark would do a bit of playback and all the acoustic guitars and electric stuff, Um, and we would all sing as well. Um, About two days in, Sid said... Do you know it'd be really good if you played bass and and keyboards? I'm like, right, okay, so was, <laughs> I'll play bass and keyboards. Yeah. So sometimes I would sequence some stuff and some songs. If it was like "Kiss from a Rose," yeah. I would play piano.
1: Right,
2: um, but if it was more like, you know, um, I don't know, um, "Future of Paradise" or something like that, uh, which has got a great throbbing bass thing, then I would play bass and run my keys from a sequencer. So we rehearsed this like five days. I think on the sixth day, Seal came down. So he'd left us alone. Really? Yeah. So Sid and I and Mark made the entire set. And because we'd come from that Madonna camp, um, like we knew how to make a set. Yeah. And we knew how to make it, like, you know, from one track to the next. And I did a bunch of B mixes and things. uh, When
1: you're rehearsing without Seal, who's, who's singing? Uh, we would
2: have Seal's so, voice on tape.
1: Oh, okay then. So, so, not, there, so you're not going, I'll yeah. just sing this as a guide rule. No, 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 right, no. Okay. We
2: were still locking to a, a, um, a multi, oh, know, okay. a, a, a door system mm-hmm. so we could have his voice there while we were working on arrangements. So if right. we were to extend a bit, then we could just cut the vocal and mm. go, right, okay, you know, and then we'll tell okay, him when he gets yeah. here uh, what the arrangement would be. So anyhow, he came, he came down on the sixth day and um, he just had a little music stand and the list of the tracks and a pen. He's he was like, all right, boys, um, let's take it from the top. So I remember we played the first one and, you know, you're like really nervous again and thinking, like, oh, God, I hope he likes this. Um, got to the end. And he's like, that sounded good. And he just ticked it. And he's like, next. I was like, OK, so did the next one. And I think we went down the whole list and maybe like four or five, we did a couple of times. He's like, oh, let's do that one again. And he's like, OK, I've got it, I've got it. And he was really like... Didn't have a, a whole lot to go, like, oh, let's change this or change that.
1: Left in your hands.
2: Yeah, at that point, it was just like, wow, this is really going great. So we got to the end of the set and, you know, sat down for a bit and he was like, okay, um, who wants to go to South America next week? And it was literally that fast.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, just, it seems that, like, in these circles, because the Madonna thing happened, fa- sound sounded like it happened fast as well. Is that how it works then? It's never, like... Oh, in three months' time, I'm meeting somebody to see if they want to do Is it just it's like right all, now?
2: all right place, yeah. right time. There's a certain thing that triggers it. So, for instance, another one that was during an off period with Madonna, mm-hmm. um, I get a phone call, same thing, sitting in a studio, happened to be off. And it was a guy called Bill Greer, who is one of the tour managers from Madonna when I was there on the first tour wonderful guy um, great tour manager great tour manager guy that's just like really softly spoken but yeah. gets everything done yeah. um, gets everybody from point A to point B Bill was on the phone he's like Marcus what are you doing I'm, like, I'm sitting in the studio um, I'm here with Ozzy Osbourne um, the keyboard player's leaving overnight can you fly out right now and can you do can you learn 30 songs by tomorrow I'm like uh, yeah okay <laughs> The same thing. I was Which on a plane so the, quick. on the plane the next morning, um, meeting Ozzy, and then by tea time I've got the keyboard rig in my hotel room with the other keyboard player mm-hmm. who's leaving. Um, who's John Sinclair, who's the keyboard player from Smile Tap.
1: Really? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, amongst other things. An amazing keyboard player. But he had an old seventies rig. Mm-hmm. So there was no way I had time to prepare my rig with all of Aussie's sounds so literally a 24-hour turnaround all I can do I put a video camera above John and videoed him playing the entire show and then had the keyboard rig delivered to my room with John and a TV and a video you know so I could plug the video in and then just sat there and watched him from above on a TV and had everything set that was like you know 12 keyboards Mm -hmm. in an old 70s style rig um, with all his foot switches and foot yeah. pedals that you've got to learn. So, the only way to learn that is just by watching him from above. Yeah. The actual physical playing of the notes is a separate thing. Um, knowing where all the patch changes are is that's the hardest thing. Um, well, but yeah, but then,
1: that's part of the music in a way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then, and then,
2: you know, the next afternoon, I'm on stage at Ozfest playing that, you know, in front of 100,000 people. Um, I'm saying
0: that's quick though, like you're like, it's a quick turnaround, but how many people like Marcus could do that? Yeah, no, like, there must be a handful of key there must be like, I don't know, five five keys players in the world that you could phone up and go. Well, that's and, why I got the, the job though. That's, that's what it means. Right? You, 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 have, to, you I have, have to be think, known for what you do.
2: I think that's what I was saying at the beginning. There is an air of obviously you have to have some talent in the first place, but a lot of these things for me have just been that knock on mm-hmm. that where the right person has seen you in the first place, then you're in a circle of those people. That can just go. Oh, um, I don't know to get get him. Yeah, and um, and that's literally always been that way.
1: So, have I mean, so you always been quick? Have you always been quick at learning stuff then? Yeah. Like going back to before all this, when you first started playing, what was your first instrument? Piano. And you did you take to it really? Did you take to it um, really quickly?
2: The history is my father's a keyboard player. Um, grandfather was a trumpet player, um, with like BBC Radio Orchestra. Oh, really? that. So, uh, great grandfather was a um, piano player with silent movies. Right. Oh wow. Um, That's and he was he was the one who was apparently just ridiculous mm-hmm. on the piano. He was the rack man enough mm-hmm. of the of the family. Um could play anything. <clears throat> and I always remember as a kid, because I started very young, I started at like three. Mm-hmm. Um and right through up to my teens. I always remember my grandma saying to me, Oh, you're not quite as good as your grand <laughs> your great grandpa. Um so there was always this like, you know, thing in the family
1: where it was going to be the piano. Was, was there an element of a... Was it a competitive thing as well And you did I'm going to be as good as... as
2: going to... Um I think a little bit.
1: Yeah, so when, um, once you think, once, once, one, that,
2: once, it, it got, once it got a hold of me, mm-hmm. um I mean... <clears throat> I did all my classical stuff really early on, so by the time I was 14, I'd already done... Um, a diploma in the piano, right. past Grade 8. Oh um so yeah my chops were really good and then inevitably jazz came along Mm -hmm. uh, at about 13 14. um and i remember going to this jazz course and conference thing in newcastle (laughs) and i came home after the first day and was practically in tears and my dad picked me up and i remember getting in the car because we chatted about this years later and my dad said it was always the, the hardest thing he's ever had to sort of explain to me. Apparently, I got in the car and said, how do you improvise, dad? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and because um, the, obviously, they put a chart in front of me mm. and anything that had dots and things, it was fine. I was reading it. Yeah. And then there'd just be a bit where it goes eight bars, improvise or solo with just nothing written. And yeah. you're like, what do you do there? I, don't, I knew nothing about this concept. Yeah. Um, and I remember him taking me home and sitting at the piano and he's like, okay, if you're in C, you can play all of these notes. Yeah. Any one of these will work. If it's a D minor chord, all these notes will work. And it's up to you which ones you want to play. So just sit there and fiddle around with those notes till you like what melodies you're coming up with. And to this day, I thought it was one of the, the greatest ways to explain it. Yeah. Even though he felt like he wasn't doing a good job of explaining it, um, that stuck. It was just like, okay, that's... And then obviously you work it out a bit. yeah. yeah. And you find a few little licks and then you're like, Oh, I'm off to the races here, here we go. Mm-hmm. So there was that, which went on up to about sort of eighteen, nineteen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and then it was um then it was a synth. It was like,
1: right. Okay, I need a synth. Fair. I want one of those. Mm-hmm. I want that thing that does that. And when um, you are when you are So the Madonna thing was when you were what twenty nine? Yeah. What was what was your what did, how did you spend your tw- your twenties? Did you have other jobs or did you always just play music? Always music. To what, you've never worked other than fuck me that great. Nothing else. That's Nothing else. Do, do you know
0: what? Like right at the very start, um, Marcus, you said about like you had a load of like samplers, electronic gear. Yeah. Um, I will just sort of back on what you said about your twenties. Were you the go-to guy like for or one of the go-to guys for like samplers, synthesis? If it was by the time i got to london
2: and was a programmer and had some things under my belt yeah and had a bit of cash um and i could afford those things yeah and i had management as well by that point i um i signed up with a, an agency that did uh, engineers programmers and producers so that put me in a really cool circle where i met a lot of people and, and then they wanted me to do their sessions yeah, right um again just the right place once you got in the door yeah um and then i obviously had a rig which back then i mean i had like eight samplers in a rack and sometimes i would get asked to do like um i did a lot of orchestral kind of mock-ups where nowadays a composer can do all of that in one door system. Yes. You can sit there with Logic or Pro Tools and it's got thousands of samples all at his fingertips. I have very much a similar setup at home now. Um, but back then, yeah. you had to have, you know, I had suitcases with floppy drives yeah. and suitcases with zip drives in, you know, just endless things with strings on or oboes or, you know, clarinets doing this or doing that. Because I had all of those things. I would
0: get the gigs
1: right okay so that's yeah. why
0: I find it fascinating because you just said it yourself like anybody now can download sample packs prepare their own stuff and I'm just like thousands yeah. I mean I, this laptop's got a pile of stuff in it yeah back then you had to carry around like a complete rig of I have stuff to done. fill a van I, if, you've I, well, done, I, if you've done both
1: it, so you've done that there and you did the do you not miss having Physical like vinyl has a massive resurgence now. I love again the physical element of listening to vinyl or whatever. Is there not a part of me that misses old gear and like oh, I had this really cool floppy drive with this fucking thing on it like, or whatever? Like, is do you or are you just think oh fuck that? It's easy now. I think
2: there's a part of me that misses it subconsciously because when I work in logic or when I work in, in any door system now, there's still things that I do which I do old school, right? Um, Like for instance when you know you can drag and drop anything now and it'll recognize the tempo or you can set it to change your tempo Mm -hmm. and do this or do that i still do it by ear yeah yeah and
0: by hand
1: it's just what you've what you've always done yeah Yeah. i just
0: debate quite a lot me and michael um about like guitar amps and things like that so he he's totally old school tube amp, Mm -hmm. won't you hear like Like, i'm like i've got a pedal i don't have to drag around a big amp Simplicity, you know the, the simplicity of it and but you i mean it's just you get it
1: um i' i use a a great a c thirty with a with a tube screen that. like if i'm playing the guitar i like i like that it song. sounds great like i can get you can probably get uh, 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 this almost exactly the same tone with digital but i love that i love having an amp. Mm-hmm. i love playing an old fashioned type guitar i don't li- i don't want maybe this is just coming back to what i was talking about before like i don't like things to be too easy yeah I, if it's no, too I'd, easy I get more complacent yeah. and if it's if it's a, if it's a, if I just plug a pedal in play guitar and it sounds great whatever fine but I like having to me amp sounds different in every single time I plug it in yeah. because it's an old it's a, it's a hand-wired AC30 yeah. like I like that the tone might be a bit bright tonight, tonight compared to what it was last night yeah. or like the guitar isn't feeling I, I like I don't want things to be too simple you see to me like at our level
0: I'm like oh I've got to set a PA up I've got to set like you always need roadies and techs and stuff so I'm like I just need to get this done I've got like an hour to set a whole PA up and if I plug this pedal in I'm ready to go yes and it's Mm -hmm. just like it's a different kettle of fish
2: if I'm working no oh wait when I'm playing with
1: Chase Mm
2: -hmm. um, who I believe you've had on the show um
1: Shout out to Chase Williams. Shout out to Come Chase Come on, 2024, Williams. kids. Uh, no what a guy.
2: Um, yeah, if, if we're working together, that's exactly what you just said. Um, we've got other things to do. So my rig in that context yeah. is um, a laptop running main stage mm-hmm. and two very, very cheap plastic um, USB keyboards. Really? Yeah. yeah. Got the MIDI controllers. Yeah, wow. because A, it's got to be portable, mm-hmm. quick to set up. Especially if you're doing festivals and things, the mm-hmm. turnarounds like 25 minutes or you know 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, it needs to be um, really quick to set up. Yeah. And it has to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would never take like expensive keyboards into that into that situation. Right. So if one of those keyboards breaks, it's 149 quid to replace it. Yeah. As opposed to if you dropped a flipping Nord or something yeah. like that, there's two and a half grand.
1: Well, I mean, you're, you're totally right. My my AC30 needs revalved mm-hmm. once every 18 months, and when it when it go, it sounds fucking horrible. And yeah. it, to be fair, that's me gig done. I can't do a gig, but yeah. at the same, I, I don't know what it. It's probably just a stubborn thing. I just I want. I'm not I saying there's any right or wrong. I want you know what I mean? It's I just interesting. That that there's a, there's different yeah. sides of the
0: debate, like you know. Yeah. I just like simplicity. I'm like, oh, I'll do. I'm I like not some, not that I'll do. It yeah. sounds great. I just I just I mean, that's, I've got to get this done quick. I'm like, that'll just. It's, you know. I think maybe I'm
1: being a purist for the sake for the. To, to, like, cut your nose after a your face Oh, no, you, you, I mean, you love it, though. I do love it, by that, that, That's my favourite. It have
2: If I'm in the studio, like, okay, like, it's a slightly different kettle of fish. Like, for instance, I was working on something last night and um, talking about what you were saying about having something more tactile and maybe older. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I do work a lot with modular stuff now. And I've been getting more into that in the last couple of years. So for instance, I was working on a thing last night, and instead of just going through a list of bass drums, um, I'll send a trigger to the modular, and then sculpt my own sound mm-hmm. from scratch for that particular track, and exactly what you're going for. Yeah. So the focus, and again, because it's restricted, because I haven't just gone, here's a drum machine, and gone, all right, well, there's the kick drum pattern, that's great, yeah. Yeah. snare drum pattern, that's good, got that going, and you're kind of off to the races. It becomes more focused, and then you know you might work on that sound for a bit and then take a break, have a cup of tea, come back, have a listen to it and be like, mm, it's not quite right yet. Mm-hmm. But you've spent that amount of time and care and attention on something that ultimately in the end is good the, the reward is, is is far greater.
1: Yeah, I agree. Oh yeah, definitely.
2: So from a keyboard players perspective for me, creating sound as well is always more rewarding mm-hmm. than just flicking through something and going right, oh, but it sounds like that's I what we've like always that. done as well though. Yeah. yeah, and like we were saying before, that I think that puts keyboard, that kind of keyboard player in it, more like a, a guitarist bracket, where they're a bit more aware of the technology that's behind yeah. what is going on. Absolutely, as opposed to just you know scrolling through a list of sounds, going oh I like that one, yeah. that'll do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which we all can do,
0: you know. So you would be more like you would try to stray from patches. You wouldn't you you, you build <laughs> yeah. your own thing and do yeah yes. Yeah. Cool. I
2: mean everything in my everything in my Logic rig and which translates into my main stage rig. Um, all my sort of core keyboard sounds, like pad sounds and things like that, all of them are all custom made. Yeah,
1: to be, so to they're be all, fair. They're,
2: they're all made from analog synths, which yeah. I've sampled myself and then subsequently made patches out of yeah. and translated them into main stage and Logic. So yeah, it's all handmade.
0: It's
1: all you. Yeah. It's all, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, to be fair, I have two mutual friends johnny and chase one of the biggest one of the biggest comments they give you is that like their sounds are always just perfect like chase which so we'll that's get nice. on, we'll get on to when the, the mumford thing which chase talked about when he was on um he said when he got in as soon as he heard you he were like that's just exactly how it should sound it's right. do you know what i mean it's, nice. it's obviously perfect like if you and it is the same as a guitarist if you're if you're playing if you're doing any van Halen uh tribute, Whatever, and mm. you haven't got a phase ninety on the floor, mm. or you're doing a Hendrix thing, you haven't got a a fuzz face. Yeah, you're not good. It's just not going to sound like that. You know what I mean? So, it's it is similar to the guitarist in a way. Yeah, yeah. But they did that is two things. That is two people that have both said that that you it sounds on keyboards are, are pretty perfectly. Like.
2: Well, both those people as well. <clears throat> when you're playing with them, both Chase and Johnny. um there's a space where you can you can fit, and there's such great musicians anyhow. Yeah, you know, yeah. but you just, all, all I'm doing is just adding to what somebody else is doing. Um, Speaking of that, then have
1: you so in your twenties were you never wanting to be the next? Like was it was it never were you always more comfortable playing for, for other people and with other people, or did yeah. you ever did you want to be like I want to be a fucking pop star? Or like, was that no, thought ever? There?
2: No, I was always very happy. Um, being behind the keyboards. Right, okay. Yeah. And part of a band. And part of a band. As opposed yes. to
1: like the market show.
2: Yeah. That got um I liked playing bass with Seal because that I allowed, imagine it was <coughs> pretty good, yeah. <laughs> that allowed people. Well, we were very <coughs> Seal's very active on stage. Right. Um and you know, he's fit as a lob. Um so I can I, I kind of fed into that. Mm-hmm. So I was very fit when I was doing that that job. Right. <laughs> Not so much now, but I was very <laughs> fit then. Uh, I was very spelt and slender. Um, but there was a lot of running around, right. which I really enjoyed. Um, and he did give free reign of the stage. He wasn't, cool. he wasn't at all like, oh, you can only do that, or yeah, keep yeah. out of my way, or he's just, mate, go for it. Like, get
1: That's out cool. there. And what was he like then? Was he was he just a cool guy or what? Like... He's great. He's such a lovely bloke. Um,
2: it make, like... It's like sitting... He's extremely warm and welcoming, um, very generous, and um, when you first hear him sing next to you, it's the strangest thing, because he sounds like he's compressed and EQ'd really? and got his own reverb and everything yeah. on, just when you're standing like, next it's like to him. Per-
1: like just perfect. Yeah. Right? yeah, you're
2: like, oh my God. That also, he was- must have had
1: a similar thing when you- when Madonna first, when you first heard Madonna sing, like when you grow up with those records that's, it's not yeah. they're almost not like uh, it's not like it's them singing it, you think it, you've heard it; it's familiar but not familiar at the same time it must be such a strange experience
2: I used to get a real kick out of when we did I think it was the second tour because the first one I did was Drown World and that was really eclectic and it was pretty focused on the particular set of albums
1: is this Seal? no this is Madonna
2: but um the second two we did reinvention was great because like we remixed all the tunes mm-hmm. and she brought out some of her older stuff oh, and i was insistent like you know like just being able to play on um material like things like that that i was like okay i'm playing that yeah.
1: <laughs> and you grew up like we all grew up with hearing that stuff. Yeah. It's, that's, it's mind but burn. then
2: that first day of rehearsal <laughs> when you when the bands worked it all out and you're like, Oh, this is great. that and like a virgin, obviously, mm. two classics. Um and then she'd come to the mic and sing it, you know, just with the lyric sheet and you know, just reading to it in a sweatpants. And, and she, the moment she opens her mouth, you're just like
1: <laughs>
2: Madonna. It's Madonna, <laughs> it's Madonna singing
1: wow. like a virgin. <laughs> I love very I look crazy for you I think's my favourite Madonna song.
2: Well that and, and song. Another one for me was Live to Tell.
1: Right, I don't think I love that. I love like a prayer. Yeah. Um, I love a video for that. Yeah, it's a stream video, but it's cool. So did you play play like a prayer live? Yeah. What happened with the big choir thing? Um,
2: We did the choir thing at um, Hyde Park.
1: With a proper choir?
2: Yeah, with a full choir. Because that was an interesting day. Um, We headlined that. And so we did the first sound check, and Madonna had a problem with her mic, so the sound check went on a little bit longer than anticipated. And I remember Pink Floyd were getting very, very annoyed that our sound check was taking up their time, because um, I remember seeing Dave Gilmore at the side of the stage looking very disgruntled. Um, <clears throat> but anyhow, we came off from sound check, and the hotel over the road, the Grosvenor House, was where we were staying. So we went back to the hotel, and I remember Sid and me was sitting on the balcony, and we could watch the entire gig from the balcony. So I remember watching um, Ashcroft with um, Coldplay, which was amazing. Um, and the phone rang in the room, and um picked up the phone, and it was an old mate of mine, Steve Robson, who's from up here, mm-hmm. producer. And Robson's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just chilling for a few hours, like, you know. Got a gig tonight in Hyde Park, you might have heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, you haven't got a couple of hours spare, have you? He went, I'd love you to come and play on this wet road. Really? And I'm like, oh, will it take long? And he's like, look, mate, I've got the piano mic'd, there's a Hammond here, it's all set up for you, it's ready to go, it'll only take a couple of hours. So I jumped in a cab, went around the Olympic studios, walked in, he's like, yeah, put the track on, had a quick listen to it, made a chart, went next to played on it. He was like, keep playing another one, did another one. So, I did two tracks, Hammond and Piano. And um, jumped out in a cab, went back, met with Steve, had a quick drink in the bar, put our gear on, went over the road, did the Madonna gig, went back on stage for the Encore with like McCartney and everybody and all that kind of nonsense. And uh, got home and then found out a couple of weeks later the record I played on was James Morrison. (laughs) So, that was all in one day.
1: Who was the. um... There's a drummer that I follow on. Um, You've probably met him. Uh, they call it Ash. Do you know Ash son A drummer who played. Did he play drums on that record? James Morrison. Yes. Yeah, he's getting credit for it now. He's yes, James Morrison. Undiscovered, I believe, album. I yeah, be that's on that. the one I did. I think. Oh, that's great. Yeah, Ash soon. I follow him on uh, Instagram and stuff. And he did, he was in the um, you know the, the pit band for like Strictly and all that. stuff, oh, right. He did that as well. And he's I mean he's played everyone he's great oh, he's no, but I thought he was on a, I thought he was on that record as well yeah he's uh, great a couple of
0: drummers here a guy called Ian Thomas and uh, somebody called Martin Black Johnson Ian Thomas is great uh, it says Marks Brown on keyboards here as well
1: there you go well we're sat with him at the minute yeah yeah so... <laughs> you're not yeah, trying, you're not trying to catch him out are you <laughs> no I've not, I'm not just, everything he sees you're taping it in <laughs> there. <Listen>,
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just uh, I've just got everything an here man. It. yeah that was a funny day that I bet yeah yeah
1: so how so how does that just the inner workings of how this is, it, it works, is just crazy. I think. So you get you're, you're in a break before you go and play with Madonna at Hyde Park and meet Paul McCartney. This is fucking crazy. And in the meantime, you go and play on that record was a was a massive record, okay. the James Morrison record. How, how does that work money wise without being uh, without you know overstepping the line? Like, how, did you get paid just for the session or do you get paid just on the, the record? Session. So you say so so how does it does he say like I've got this much money, come and pay you per hour. And then piss
2: off i think probably at that point with it a being a friend or mm-hmm. an old acquaintance um not dear friend actually um i don't think we ever even discussed you that. just went I and did it and was, it was probably just you know 250 quid or whatever it's or 300 mad, quid.
0: Yeah. it's mad i don't it might have been maximum 600 but i mean but then that
1: record made. Millions. It's
0: of it nowadays, though. Like, like nowadays, like say, if you played keys on something, you'd probably get a songwriter's credit, mate, wouldn't you? Well, that's it's interesting. Of, it's kind of changed like. a lot of that. You know, off
2: it's, then as well, though, it's not that long ago, really. I mean, you get PPL now, but that's you have to chase that, and I've spent months chasing some of those things. Yeah. Um For a period of time, um, lots. Of, well, lots of records that I have played on had to actually prove that it was me which is a real pain in the backside. side how does that work then what will have happened is somebody at the record company when they're you know taking the notes from the producer who's done what da, 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 that are going to go on the credits or go on the um like you know bpi forms and stuff mm-hmm. like that and ppl forms um i've known that people just write their own name in
0: really <laughs> mick jagger did it he, he shafted keith richards for years like he hmm. yeah he did it. they had a big There was a court case in the 80s or something so mick jagger said yeah i wrote all these <laughs> didn't get the Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean you would have to check that, and Keith Richards was like, in the 80s or something, right? where's all my money? Oh, I've been taking all your money. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I had a one with Tina Turner, where, if you look on the album credits, I'm credited in all the right songs, with all the right instruments. I didn't know the Tina Turner
1: thing at was. 24-7? Yeah, 24-7. Wow.
2: Um, but the royalty, I've never received one penny yet. Really? Because... It, uh,
1: just, just get buried, it just birth. gets
2: buried, yeah, you know, it just gets buried, and it's too complicated, or yeah. you know, I just, expensive or I just give up and yeah. say, oh, really? I, What's that, it going to be 50 quid? Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Is that would that have been per, per album sale, then, or whatever you'd have got a, a you, percentage well, you, of the you, album sale or something? Well, no, then. you'll
2: get a percent, you'll get a um, an airplay. All oh, right, oh, okay. Yeah. I think the funniest one that ever happened was um, years ago, um, I ended up doing a demo for Celine Dion. Um, And it was with a guy called Terry uh, Britton. Uh, he'd written the song with Graham Lyle from Gallagher and Lyle. All right, yeah. um, Charlie Doe did the lyrics, I think. Um, But I think I ended up doing the demo with Terry. And so it was just me and my keyboard rig, basically. I think Terry played a bit of guitar, but ultimately I ended up playing pretty much everything. And then I remember the demo. Um, ended up being on the table for that massive album that she had, uh, Celine, the one with, you know, and My Heart Will Go On and all really? that. Really? Yeah. The one that sold like mm-hmm. 9, 89 billion copies or something. I think it was 18 million copies at sold. Um and we had a note from um her management saying um we were, we've just used the demo and got Celine to sing over the demo. It's like What, you mean you just took the two-track of an instrumental? Like, you didn't take the stems or the actual multi-track. You just took a two-track and then got Celine to sing over it. And it's on the album. Really? Yeah. And then subsequently, I got a call from her management in Canada, I think it is, um, saying, Oh, um, we're grateful for your production. Um, Here's an additional payment of... um, $1,200. $1,200. Uh-huh. So I got a, just a one-off uh-huh. one off payment for $1,200 for my production of a track
0: on an album that sold 18 bad. million. Surely you own the mechanical rights to that track or the, the instrumental or something. If you. No? It doesn't work that way. Oh, my. Like, oh. <sighs> That's shame.
2: Yeah, it was bought out. I was very young then, so I didn't really know what was going
1: on. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that was way back.
1: It was way yeah. back. How do you find now playing with like um, Chase, who I love obviously, but it's just such a fucking smaller scale what, without you know that being its own to, to what you've, you've been used to um, and stuff like that. like like what what would you yeah how are you finding that now? I enjoy it just as much. Just as much, really. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's
2: about playing. Yeah. And about having fun. It's always been about having fun. Mm-hmm. I think Chase will probably testify <laughs> of that. Yeah. I'm always quite fun to be around.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think. Was um, it, is it what were you doing before the Mumford thing? Like
2: Um, I hadn't actually played for a while. Right. I'd sort of lost interest. Um I hadn't well not lost interest. Um I'd got back from America and um that had been a bit of a rough a rough exit I would right. say. How come? Just life, mm-hmm. you know? You know, divorce, kids, mm-hmm. all that sort of shit. Houses. Um, and then... Trying to get back on my feet, obviously being back over here was a little bit difficult. I did a bit of playing. In fact, some of it was with Johnny when yeah, I first remember. got back. Yeah. So was when I met you then, that was about six That's years ago. That's right, yeah. Is that
1: when you had just first getting back? Just got back, yeah.
2: Okay. So that was fun. Um, then... My dad had a um, like a boutique sort of staircase business where oh, right. he was making like designer staircases. Very um, successfully, actually. Uh, he was great at it. Um, so I just took an interest in that and decided I wanted to do that for a while. Right. So there was about two years where I didn't really play and just spent a lot of time with my dad, mm-hmm. uh, which was great because I hadn't seen him for a long time, really. Yeah. Been away for so 20-odd years, both mum
1: and dad. How do you how do you communicate? How did you communicate with your parents when you were at these amazing places around the world with Madonna and and meeting these incredible people and stuff? Probably dreadfully. (laughs) So Um, was it was it was it never something where you would bring and guess who I'm with? Oh
2: no, I would do as much of that as possible. Yeah, but
1: um, not very often, probably.
2: Not as often as you probably should. Yeah. Um, But I mean, it's funny. I was laughing the other day, like uh, those early tours. The things you used to take with you, I mean, we don't have, like, cell phones and stuff like this. Back then, you had, like, a brick, which would only work in the country you were in. Yeah. The country you were from, and it was useless. And then even down to, like, I used to have a suitcase with CDs in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I would take on tour. So you could listen. Yeah. 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 Like, we have none of that now. Yeah. Um So it was very different. But, um no, I would I would spend, obviously, if I was passing this way on any tour. Mm-hmm. I would always make a stop off. Yeah. Which sometimes would result in, you know, all kinds of disasters.
1: Because
2: right. you're not really supposed to leave the tour. Yeah. Um, one particular occasion um I had to be helicoptered out. Really? Yes. Because I was about to miss a Madonna gig and the train yeah. the train broke down that I was on, yeah. being England, being <coughs> England that we live in. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, and they had to send a helicopter to get me to the gig in really time. Good. That's fucking really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it
0: was a slap on the wrist that day. Like that. <laughs> yeah. I well, thought we landed near the train
1: and you just went all over the passenger. Fuck you, Robert. <words>. <laughs> <done that."> British <laughs> real? That's classic.
2: Yeah. It was one of two times that I had a helicopter from Madonna, actually. Uh, the other time was for my birthday. Uh, well, not my birthday, but it was like a collective sort of mm-hmm. present to the band, but it was around my birthday. It was was, um, we'd been saying that wanted to see um, Radiohead with. The Pixies and Craftwork, mm-hmm. the Coachella. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we finished rehearsing, and there was a helicopter in the parking lot outside to
0: well, take us wonderful. to Coachella. <laughs>
1: that's lovely. Like. Yeah. Which was rather nice. Why well, do you never do that, man? Give me a U like. I uh, I can't afford a helicopter. Also, I'm scared of helicopters.
0: I'm scared. You hear a lot of people die in helicopters. F-
1: I'm like, the thing with a plane, right, is if the engine goes on a plane, you're probably still going to die. Don't get but there's a little chance that it might glide it with you. You see, I like believe if CD a plane goes I down, did. But a helicopter stops, you just hit the fucking deck. Like yeah. yeah.
2: One of the early gigs that I did with Ozzy was at the shed where um, Stevie Ray Vaughan
1: died. Oh, really?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I've seen the the, the mountainside where the the, the stairlift is, where they crashed into it, where yeah. Clapton got out and gave him his yeah. helicopter. Yeah. And it was foggy as well. It was, it was a bit
1: eerie. Yeah. 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 It would be nice. Like Can we take a quick break? Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah,
2: man. I mean, that's...
1: Uh, like the lanes are changing as well, that would be fair. If you, if you think about... <laughs> should we uh, we'll move on from this, by way? We'll talk to Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I've thought about... Uh, well, I do have several chapters of a book already. Oh, really? Set aside for the correct time in history. Class. Something that things that i probably wouldn't talk about right now but yeah
1: so moving on like slightly touchy subjects i don't know if it is or not but how was like um I'll i'll go i'll i'll say first that like i'm no stranger to having fucking too many drinks and whatever else um pretty well known for it unfortunately but you know all that sort of stuff but ha, ha, how have you ever struggled with that to, when you're on tour drinking too much or yeah like um yeah. Is it, just, is it just so easy, when you're in these places where everything's, I'm assuming, everything's free, you get whatever you want. Yeah. How's, that, effect, how's that affected you over the years, and, and, and does it still live with you now, sort of thing?
2: Yeah, it comes and goes. Yeah. Um, it's certainly in that environment, um, you're right in what you said, there's a lot of availability and everything's mm-hmm. sort of laid on all the time. There is a lot of boredom.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I imagine there is. So
2: there's a lot of boredom and a lot of travelling. Um, and the travelling...
1: And musicians are known for of course. that sort of and stuff. And you put half a dozen of them together. Yeah. What else
2: um, you going to do? Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly, there's been plenty of times it's got out of hand.
1: Yeah. Um, low points and stuff as well, as yeah. Yeah.
2: You have, you have low points where you're particularly out of hand. Um, or out of the line. Um we've all had them. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully you've got people around you who are just like, right, Ned, Yeah. have a word.
1: Um, Instead of, but I'm assuming you've also got the opposite of that and have like real enablers and people who are, yeah. depending on, on how high or low they are in their, their life. Yeah. You know, encouraged that you to do the wrong stuff when you shouldn't be doing it or.
2: That's true. Um, you're at
1: like both ends of the spectrum, I'm assuming. In them, certainly. In
2: Certainly, with some relationships I've had as well, things have been a little toxic at times. Um, but you, you hopefully work your way through it now mm. the other side. Um, I've got certain triggers. Um, but it, I do like to enjoy being on stage. Yes. Yeah. and I think with that comes maybe what I said earlier on that I like to be behind the keyboards. Mm. There is an aspect even though i can be very sort of flamboyant on stage and quite a showman at times um that comes from being relaxed yeah
1: absolutely.
2: and i tend to find that i'm better if i've had a couple of drinks
1: i, I could agree more I, I don't think it's it's very very rare unless i'm doing a quick afternoon gig or something it's very rare i haven't had at least one pint at a, at a gig like it's just it kind of goes hand in hand
2: yeah i'd find that i sit in the room or the venue will look better i don't mm-hmm. feel like i'm in a goldfish bowl mm-hmm. um it's just being relaxed mm-hmm. it seems to work for me i don't well, at least i don't think um that would be for anybody else to judge but i don't seem to think that i'm i make any mistakes mm-hmm. um, if, it gets, the, if it gets if it got to that point i would be critical of myself anyhow yeah um if there was ever a case, you know, or there has been, where I'm like, oh shit, I yeah. it falls out of that because I've had too much to drink, Yeah. or I'm a bit too stoned or something, Yeah. Um, or I missed that thing because mm-hmm. I wasn't paying attention, then fair enough, then you have a word with yourself. Yeah. Um,
1: but it's it, it, not just on stage, but as well, I think. Like it, it, all, all musicians, I think, well, most of the ones I know, you finish a gig. You want to you want to paint. You want to try and wind down the yeah. adrenaline. The adrenaline of doing a gig. The easiest way to wind it down is to either go to the gym at one in the morning, which no nobody's going to do, you know, and burn yeah. that yeah. energy you've got, or try and suppress it by drinking alcohol or smoking a, a bit of weed or whatever. Like uh, that's it, it's so easy to become a habit. Yeah, and, and or not a crutch, but like yeah. it's it's so easy to, to fall into a routine of going like right, well, I'll fucking. You know, that, that's just, it's kind of what goes with what we do.
2: I've always had a, a lifelong relationship with vodka. Right, okay. Mainly because, uh, and this goes back to a lot of the traveling. I found that if I just drank vodka, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really get drunk, mm-hmm. but I was enjoying myself and I never really felt ill. Yeah. So, but it's an upper mm-hmm. vodka. So you don't really sleep yeah so i could just go forever i could travel anywhere i'd just be fine
1: yeah
2: i could sleep anywhere if i needed to take a nap yeah um so that just became the norm yeah um i found well not lately but probably in the last couple of years that doing that at home obviously doesn't work Mm -hmm. Uh, well you're in that
1: routine anyway so if i'm not working I'll still drink in the. Ha- I'll drink in the house. Yeah,
2: But I'll or I'll be in the studio at home. Mm. Um, so I'll be. I'll. I'll drink then. Yeah. But I found in the last couple of years that if I was just drinking vodka then, and mm-hmm. I would inevitably drink the whole bloody bottle. Yeah. Like, and not even think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then be up till three in the morning. Yeah. Because I'm wide awake. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: But I think you, you. There's there's a part of me that convinces myself it's probably bullshit that like. It's to help us get to sleep, or it's to help us yeah, on my. But course. really, it's not. Yeah. It's that you're, you're convincing yourself of that, really, and using it as an excuse in that one.
2: That's why I've moved on to heroin. Yeah, well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm not another. Safer <laughs> safe, safe option. <laughs> yeah,
2: at least I get a good night's sleep. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say that, like I said, I found more lately that um, I might just have a glass of wine, mm-hmm. especially red wine.
1: Yeah, it's and much then, more And time. then by, mm-hmm. like, 11 o'clock...
2: I don't go that. That's what's the
1: fourth guest, by the way. Yeah.
2: Um, and then I actually do go to bed at a sensible yeah. time and get up at, like, you know, six in the morning, like yeah. a normal person. I've, I've, yeah. Instead of sitting in the studio going, oh, I've got another idea, I've got another idea, yeah, and, and, I'll get another drink, drink, and I'll have another drink, I'll have another drink, yeah. i have got another idea, and then getting up in the morning at 10, yeah. feeling bloody awful, yeah, and then going next door to listen to your work going, oh, that's terrible, what yeah. was I doing?
1: Well, you're in a different as much as you don't feel like it at the time i think you're it. Really, you're all in a different mind space yeah your mind has been altered by whatever it is course. you're drinking or smoking or whatever yeah. it is and like you say well, looking back when you're sober you probably do think but what the fuck was i thinking there like
2: and i think a lot of it is differentiating between doing these gigs where you're playing the same thing every night mm-hmm. that becomes an autopilot yeah absolutely so you find Constantly, that you're trying to like make it's really weird. It's like you're trying to make it harder for yourself,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: because it becomes boring after a mm-hmm. while. But I also know,
1: think that the alcohol is also part of the autopilot, yeah. As soon as I get to a venue, the first thing I do is go and get a pint, but mm-hmm. I, I don't, I shouldn't, I don't need it. It's just like right in here, I get a pint, yeah, you know, and it's you get one in the break, whatever, whatever else happens, you get some beers on the way home, yeah, and you think, well, I'll have them, but. It's almost it's it's almost subconscious, really. It's it's very but old.
0: Do you regret it though? Because you're mentioning this almost as if like I'm not talking about you, Marcus, I'm sort of particularly uh, Rolfie. You're like, well, I'll have a pint at the venue, have a pint at the break, and have a couple of beers and that. And you said like at the start that may, loosen you up and might make even play better. So do you think it's is that why you're doing it? Do you, do you regret doing it? I don't regret or doing like it. Like I, I you just think, think I'm, do you? Is don't it like, is there no regret no I don't
1: doing it, But I I'll often look at myself and think I've drink forty I drink far too much and I I, yeah. I don't need to, but i That's that
2: in a conversation still, that we yeah, all yeah, isn't everybody it? Everybody does, yeah. Yeah, okay, well I'll, I'll not do that again. Yeah,
1: but you do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like yeah, it's 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 a funny relationship. What, what I mean is if
0: it's not a problem for you, what's the what's the conflict? What's the way you say well, you I've, drink I've to had it, I've, if you don't think it's a problem I've, I've had it, it as a problem before. Yeah. Where, um, mm-hmm. where
1: I, you know we all go through phases of a drink and you, you have to have a word yourself and go, fuck it I'm yeah.
2: Um, yeah, there's but, been a few moments in my life where it's gone a bit curly, yeah.
1: yeah. Same, absolutely. But and, and again, I think what you touched on before is completely right, it does come down a lot of the time to boredom, yeah. If you get in from a gig and you just adrenaline yeah, rushes, our place. gigs are very different. But if I get in from a yeah. gig and I've just entertained six people, yeah. but even if it's a good gig, and I, I think that, I think they're lives. all the same. Um, you do jump not at all, uh, but you're like, seems quite appropriate. <laughs> you're having a, you know, you're having a good time, and you think, right, I, you know, it, it is, it is boring when you get in. If, if I get in the house and I'm sat watching TV or I'm watching a movie or I'm watching whatever, like, that is more boring than playing music and entertaining people. Yeah. yeah. So you want there's a, even if you're watching a movie you love or you watching this, you just think oh, just, I just take the edge off or I'll unwind with a couple of beers. But there is a point where you think I don't, I, do I, I don't need this. Like what's it's the-?
2: funny because I find. You might find this similar, I don't know. Um, I find it re- really hard to go and watch music Yeah, and enjoy myself. absolutely. Because I just want to either be playing or mm-hmm. I'm like, why am I here? I, 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 it I, becomes I, more yeah. annoying to be there because I'd rather be on the stage.
1: I totally agree with you, unless it's somebody uh, yeah, I mean, that I really they're admire. They're obvious, you know, yeah, know.
2: And I think there's, maybe once I am there, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I came. Yeah. But the notion of going somewhere and having to stand like, and yeah. listen to music and not be part of it is really frustrating for me
0: do you find i mean i find myself in judgment of them sometimes oh, like oh i don't i don't like what you've done there well, that's I'm all like, musicians you, do that yeah, all musicians yeah.
1: Do that. yeah. yeah absolutely
0: and normally i i'll have a good drink at a gig like if i'm if i'm there you know you get oh um, you yeah. get plastered. <laughs> that's what you do you I'm, well, I'm actually, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm actually going with
1: first gig for a while on um it'll be long gone by now but a friend of ours patrick is uh, releasing like an Patrick e- Carr. Patrick Carr, yep. yeah. He's releasing a little EP on a uh, tomorrow night. So Another fine talent. It's uh, oh, he's a great. He's a great person. Mm-hmm. Thank you, person. Yeah. Uh, so, it, um, but I'm gonna go up there, and obviously there will be a part of me sitting like thinking, I would have played that chord differently. I would have done that. Different. But yeah. you've got, you've got to switch. It's nice to switch off from that. I yeah. think as well. Yeah. When you can, when you can, and, and I'm not to hear any stuff actually. That'd be cool.
2: I'm always fascinated to see how other people do things.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, we've—that's what we were touching on before. Me and him have such different approaches, but we we play together sometimes mm-hmm. and whatever. But we have a, we have different approaches musically and gear wise and everything. But it's 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 also nice to when you play with those people, to meet in the middle and go like, all right, well, we'll do we'll do we'll do that your way. Yeah. We'll do this my way, and then whatever happens yeah. it's, it's cool i think i've learned a lot. i mean i've learned loads from you man just
0: you know i think that's the other thing you come together with people with different ideas and you learn like i love learning yeah
2: well you were talking before about playing now with um chase and mumford with with chase um we were talking about this a few weeks ago um i've learned so much playing yeah. with that band yeah so much
1: oh to be fair chase as well chase is somebody you can you're going to learn a lot from anyway i think but he's just just
2: of because people. of again as that but also that particular style of music yeah again it was something i, I chose that because mm-hmm. i was like oh i fancy that yeah. i've done that before
1: mm-hmm. so it appeals is to that me. what drew you to that mainly then
2: yeah i thought oh that looks interesting Maybe i'll give that a shot mm-hmm. um met chase we got on great and then did a couple of rehearsals and things um and it just sort of worked but then once we got on the road um you learned so much about that style mm-hmm. that again it's just another like feather in the bowl. Mm-hmm. Um
0: Yeah. So that's t- never diminished then, like you've played with Madonna's. So it doesn't matter. You just love to from, from what you what I'm love co- new yeah. From what I'm
2: playing right currently now to what I was playing a year ago with Chase, mm. two very different players.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Which it's great to see that curve. And I, Rough, I look yeah. at my hands sometimes yeah. and I'm like, wow, that's great. You wouldn't have played that a year ago. Yeah. yeah, You're playing something completely different because this works. But that's just because I've been listening to the other you mm-hmm. know, three or four guys in the band. Mm-hmm. And then you find where that slot is and where that place goes. Not to say that anything I was playing a year ago wasn't mm-hmm. wrong, was not wrong.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: it's. I just know for a fact it's better now. Mm-hmm. So I've learned something.
0: But that development still gets you excited
1: and still gets you... Yeah.
2: yeah. And... You know, working with new people always. I know.
1: love I, I, I love that. I, working, I, I, yeah.
2: working with, um, I mean, everybody in the band. Um, Ian on bass, phenomenal musician. Um, we've got a new guy, Mitch, on banjo, who's just like on another planet. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, literally on another planet. Uh, in the nicest possible way. Uh, but just clued up, you know, mm-hmm. he's got it. And then we've got Dan on drums, who's one of the finest drummers i've ever worked with i think one, mm. finest musician i've ever worked with mm. um just all around people people who've got respect for everything else that's going mm. on around them um and then of course chase at the front yeah
1: um, Chase is, i mean chase is great I, I love the bones of the music He's an incredible person well.
2: when it kicks it kicks yeah and you can feel it and that's that's the thing that still gives you that enjoyment yeah you come off stage and you're like <laughs> yeah. that was going some wasn't it yeah.
1: And so it's very, all, yeah, it's very us against them as well. Yeah, you way. can share in that.
2: Yeah. You know, that's the it's an essence of the the, um, the phrase being in a band. Yeah, it's a band of you know you're going off to war.
1: I do love uh, like so the the in the couple of projects and bands and stuff that I play. in, the main band that I play in is the Sponge Divers with Jack. Yeah, The main Jack I played together for like I think twelve years or something, and we are completely telepathic. Yeah, there's never I mean even the notes we play. The, the, it's it's a funk jam band anyway, so it's always it provides never the same, but it's so telepathic that it's like we just I know exactly what we're gonna do. It's we're, we're one, yeah, and it's the nicest thing in the world. Yeah. However, I do love, debbing on bass for your band or playing guitar with somebody, and the, I love that feeling of like oh, what's gonna, what's be? gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, I love that as well. Yeah, um, I, I love them equally. I think like
2: well, we we have moments like that at the sun. <clears throat> There's a lot of time when um, being the keyboard player, it's a funny sort of thing, sound like Mike Lindup from Level 42 or something. (laughs) Uh, The keyboard player always tends to get the high harmony. Right, really? (laughs) It's just one of them things, and I'm pretty decent at it. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of the stuff when Chase is belting it, Mm -hmm. I'm like a third above him. Yeah. Um, And we've got to the point now where he'll move the phrasing Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I'm blind in my left eye. All right. And he's um he's to my left. Uh-huh. So if I'm on a mic, I can't see past my nose. Right. So there's a lot of that goes on where I'm trying to like watch his mouth to see if he's gonna slow the phrasing or move it this yeah. way or move it that way,
1: and I'll go with him. Yeah. Do you ever thought but, about going on the right?
2: <laughs> it's just the way <laughs> we, it's the way we're set up. Um to look like Mumford. Yeah. Um so but I, what I was gonna say was, um, we're at the point now where I can feel where You're he's going to move. Yeah, you just
1: know. Yeah. yeah,
2: and if he's going to slow back out, I, I know it.
1: Yeah, I love that. And that's just that. because
2: yeah. you've been with somebody long mm-hmm. enough to
0: know what they're doing. Yeah.
1: Me and when, when me and Jack play, so Jack plays guitar. Jack's the, the, the best guitars in the world, in my opinion. He's fucking unbelievable. He plays guitar in the Sponge Divers, but I've got this Michael Roth band as well, which I play guitar in instead of bass, yeah. and Jack plays bass, so oh, we just right. we just swap over. <laughs> and it's because it's like I needed a bass player. We own loads of equipment together. We might as well gig together. We share a diary and everything. So I was like, "Well, you play bass. He's a good bass player." But even on other instruments, we still yeah. have that telepathy, which which is bonkers if you think of it. it's it's because it's that's not your instrument. Yeah, that's your two minds working in the same syncopation. You know,
2: I have a dear old friend. um Tony McEnany, who's a great writer from up north here from Sunderland. Uh, Tony wrote Croc shoes and stuff like that. So when I was really young, I met Tony and he became a a, a real mentor Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And we're still like best friends. I I played at his daughter's wedding last week. Um, But um, we have that same thing. Mm -hmm. When we work together, um, be it live, but predominantly in the studio as well, we're completely on the same wavelength all the time
1: it's, it's so it's it's so hard to explain what it feels like yeah because
2: it's, really it's obviously
1: weird. not you're not telepathic it's not that but it no. it's, it's the closest thing you can kind of compare it to it's such a weird feeling that i don't know i don't know if that happens the only thing i can really think to compare it to is like great footballers who play like if there's a left wing and a left back they have to be like yeah. that they have to think the same
2: you set it up and i'll knock it down exactly yeah yeah that, yeah, I have few relationships like that in my life, but you you know when you're in oh, one, you just say, yeah. "Oh, this is really amazing." Funnily enough, last night I was talking to um, I was talking to a friend of mine in New York who, again, back when I was like early twenties, we worked together on um, the Genocide Two project, which was like really groundbreaking, sort of drum and bass out of Brixton right. at the in the early nineties. And we haven't spoken for a while but we were chatting last night and it was just like putting an old pair of shoes on mm-hmm. you know um when we worked together years ago we were in a studio and it was going so great in the studio i had an engineer and just me and him he's a dj i was programming we were both producing and we just couldn't believe how great like the session had been going it was you know two weeks of absolute joy and we were upstairs playing pool and i said to chris i was like when were you born and he's like 21st of May.
1: I'm
2: like, I was born on 21st of May. Like, what year? you? 1971. I'm like, I'm 1971. Oh as God. God. I went, what time were you born? He was like, about 10 to 11. I'm like, I was born at 10 to midnight.
1: That's
2: mad. And then the engineer piped up as he was at the pool table and just lifted his head. He went, I was born the 21st of May. No <laughs> oh way. <my> at 6.30. <laughs> so the three of us who'd been together for a couple of weeks in the studio yeah. working were all born within six hours of That's each mad. other. That's mad sounds like that's a top song.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, <laughs> but yeah, that was a very strange experience because yeah. we all just like everything was flowing yeah. all the time with no like gripes or anything. Yeah. everybody knew what the other person was doing. Oh, gosh, it was really man. weird.
1: Before we uh, let you get away because this has been a nice long one. Uh what are you up to like right now apart from the Mumford th- stunt uh, the Mumford uh, thing like what's what's getting you nice and hard at the minute?
2: Oh gosh. Um, it's a different question. You like,
1: about about your, that's nice. Like, that? Thank you. Um, it's, that just for you, it's a
0: different question
1: <laughs> what's getting you hard and what are you up to are two I different questions the guest <laughs> that we're going to have on in a couple of weeks I definitely can't ask that question <laughs> that can be revealed at another point but anyway so what? what what's floating your boat at the minute what, what are you listening to and, and what are you trying to okay. do what you, yeah, what my you
2: continuous hard on for uh, film music has driven me um, to a point of insanity over the last couple of years mm. um, I had some sort of downtime. um pretty much through COVID mm-hmm. uh, as the rest of us did yeah, it's pretty awful um, which unfortunately my dad passed just before then and I was working with him for a while um, in a completely different environment um, but I was grateful to be able to spend some time with him but when COVID hit as we all struggled um I decided to brush up my skills in film and TV composing. Mm I thought I would just spend the time getting back into writing, getting back into scoring, um, understanding the orchestra again, and bringing back some skills that I had maybe 10, 15 years ago that I was using all the time, but not so much now. But um, I figured I'd use that time. So that then led to a body of work that I was sitting on for a while, and trying to get put forward for a couple of movies and it's down there there's some odd commercials here and there and still doing some sessions so i did some stuff for robbie williams and um uh, what do you call him? keith and stuff like that <laughs> um but that was all done remotely yeah um oh just basically a session was sent to me yeah. and then you know the producer would just say can you well, do your thing and send back whatever you hear you know put whatever you feel like um Work with C Fret, that's another great band from around here. Um, they're doing really well, but not a huge amount. And then, but I'm sitting on this body of work, and then um, I met this young lady, as you do, and um, we were just playing some music one night. And she's like, oh, I'd love to hear some of the film stuff that you've mm-hmm. done. So I started to play some of it, and after about half an hour, she said, You do realize there's all has a thing to it, and it all sounds like a particular body of work. Right. Which I hadn't thought of it that way. I just thought of it as a series of mm-hmm. things that I was working on. um, Trying out different ideas, different time signatures, different ways of recording things. um, Working a lot with strings. Um, and She said, oh, can I take it away with me tonight? I'm like, yeah, of course you can. So, anyhow, the next day she brings me up. Like I'm coming round um i've written um i've written an audiobook based on your music oh wow it's a sci-fi dystopian thing set in the city of london about the financial world um taking over the uk and shutting all the borders around the city overnight and leaving everybody outside with nothing no electricity no power whatever I'm like, okay this is really interesting so we got to work on scripting it into five 15 minute episodes right. with continuous music with songs involved narration um three or four major characters um of which i managed to get chase to play yeah, yeah. one of the characters who's absolutely amazing at um so we are currently um, in an investment stage at the moment, we're just working with people over in um IMAX in Sunderland um and software Sunderland Software City to try and help us get the thing launched um and finished. But um I've got episodes one to three of fully demoed, right So that's forty five minutes of continuous. Um so I've got the last half an hour, which is episodes four and five to get those into place which should take another month Um, and then that's the entire first season demoed which will then start touting. but I mean we're already in that process right now. Um, It's just tricky because what we've ended up with is some of your listeners might remember War of the Worlds. We've ended up with something more akin to that so it's not really an audio book or it's not really an audio play. It is something that is very different.
0: Yeah, I stage, stage
2: production. Also. Yes. Well, we we're looking for this immersive experience, so I want the whole thing done in Dolby Atmos, right. um, which I've been working with. That's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, well, I've, I've basically been working with that for the last six months, so um, I've got that my skills upon that now, so I know what I want to do with it. Um, but a view to having this kind of like experience where people can share in. Supposing if you go to the cinema and you went with somebody who's, um, uh, who was blind, for instance, um, you're not gonna have the same experience when you walk out of that theater as that person had. You might be able to talk about it or share something that you saw that they didn't see. But with what we've come up with, which we've now titled an Audi, A-U-D-I-E, um, is like a brand. So it's something that, Everybody can experience exactly the same. You just put your headphones on or put your speakers on, and this tells you a story. It has music. It has songs. It um, has narration. And the music sculpts that narration.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so it's a very different thing, more like War of the Worlds, which we've never seen that platform um, re-envisaged or, or, or revisited since 1978. Yeah. Um, so there's certainly a niche there for something like this mm-hmm. and the tests the test runs that we've done and the people that we've been talking to seem to think that this got legs oh, cool. um, I certainly think it has um, with a view to then obviously we've got season two mm-hmm. we have, well we have four seasons of the city we also have another one called the asylum which is the first horror one that we're working on mm-hmm. um, and then there is a comedy as well mm-hmm. so with a view to then starting a production company that can pump these out yeah. that's what I want to be able to do um, and do it with the team because at the moment it's really just myself handling all the production uh, and Vicky, uh, my partner, Vicky Price um, working with the script um, and the business side
0: hell of all, particularly
2: nice. it's an enormous amount but we were looking at um, we were looking at how Jeff Wayne started with War of the Worlds. And, you know, it it was pretty much the same. It was just him demoing the whole thing by himself Mm -hmm. till he got it to a point where he could convince somebody that this is, like, this could be really something good. So I had some refreshing statistics that I was reading the other day that sort of put your mind at rest to think, that okay, I'm not barking mad here. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I say, everybody that I've played episodes one and two, uh, their first thing is... The first comment has to be uh that's been to say can I hear episode three? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um well,
2: that's and, a great thing. And I think within fifteen minute episodes, it's perfect for people who are, you know, jumping on a train um, driving. driving. It's more exciting than listening to just an audio. Somebody read a book.
1: A yeah. shit podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's take yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I'll just do some underlying music yeah, for you. Right. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we need some Have you got anywhere online? Like have you got like a um like a a Kickstarter or GoFundMe? Is there, are, you, are you raising finances that oh, way? We're going
2: to have to look at those angles, I think. Um, because, you know, I have a wish list. I have a, a, f- I have a figure I can do it for. Mm. I have a figure I'd like to be able to get to do it for. And then there's obviously the yeah. other figure where you'd go, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could really do it, you know, to the nth degree at that point yes. um, but we don't always get that so yeah there is going to be that yeah. faction that we will have to look at and some maybe some grant applications as well which is why we're working with Sunderland yeah. um, but they're going to be linking us up with some investment people this week anyhow so mm-hmm. uh, yeah just pitch decks and things like that all the really boring stuff that musicians don't like to have to get involved with but yeah. in today's climate it's necessary there is a big shift um, you can't get budgets like you used to get. Yeah. Is so it, Is it independent? You've got to do like everything,
0: haven't you? You've, you've really got
2: that. It's the conversation I was having last night that, um, I'm probably just gonna right now end up finishing the project yeah. before I see a penny, yeah. but that, you know. At
1: least it's done though.
2: At least it's done. Yeah. I'd rather have, I guess, I'd rather have a hundred thousand people listen to something that I'm maybe not a hundred percent happy with then maybe 20 people isn't it something 10 years from now the yeah, that's nearly killed a, me
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: so yeah get on get well, on with exciting, it it's exciting
1: i think that's awesome yeah. uh, also i think we've taken up far too much of your time it's been an absolute uh, pleasure yeah, definitely one of if not the most interesting person i think i've ever met <laughs> And well, cut that out so
0: that nobody else is offended by it, but he's been awesome. Well no, thank you very much, Morgan. <laughs> thank been you, great, you, very much you very much, man. Cheers. Oh, no. Cheers, man. Thank what, you. What, were you slag to yourself? There? Oh, sorry. I'll cut oh, down. my God. <laughs> 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 Cheers, Morgan. Thank you, man. You're welcome.